Hello, guys. Man, okay, I'm really excited to teach on this topic because, for one, sorry, I'm going to totally trip over these if I don't fix this. Okay. Okay. Um, for one, because I don't, I can't personally think of many other topics that are more, that are commanded in scripture, but are also more um, ignored or misunderstood in our modern Western church culture today. About it because for Curtis and I personally, um, beginning to live out this, um, this call to like radical biblical hospitality has been like the greatest adventure of our lives. So here's where we're going this afternoon. Um, first, I'm going to spend about 15 minutes or so just telling you stories um, to get us thinking about hospitality and to illustrate what biblical hospitality looks like. Kids, do you like stories? Yeah. Okay, then lock in with me because I'm about to tell a bunch of stories. Are you ready? Okay. Um, and then second, I'm going to define um, what the Bible means when it says hospitality. And then third, Curtis is going to come up and show us um, what hospitality looks like through the storyline of the Bible and unpack a bunch of scriptures um, about hospitality for like 15 or 20 minutes. Um, so our prayer is basically that today, whenever you'll leave here, um, that you would leave with a deeper, richer, um, more biblical understanding of this topic and that you would, wherever you're at in this walk, um, just enter more deeply this joy and this adventure um, of living out radical hospitality. So here we go. Uh, my roommate um, was a girl from the track team who had a, a diagnosed mental health condition and was not taking her medication. Um, and she developed this belief that I was a thief and had this like really deep-seated hatred for me. Um, and she would often lash out at me. Um, so even if I was like sitting in my desk at my room um, and I heard her like come through the front door, I'd be like, oh, she's home. And this like, fear would like jolt through me. So I remember one night I was crying on the phone with Curtis, who at that time was my fiance, um, and my living situation had gotten. Um, and he was like, well, why don't you just go stay with someone else? And I was like, well, I can't. My track scholarship is paying for this apartment. Uh, would be the perfect person to say this to me also because he had a guy sleeping on his couch in his college dorm um, for like the entire semester because there was a guy that could no longer pay room and board. Um, don't tell TCU, I don't think that that was legal. <laughs> so, so anyways, I was like, okay. Uh, and so I packed up what was absolutely necessary in my car, um, left a note for my roommate and um, called my church small group leader um, up on the phone and she didn't pick up. So I just showed up at her house with all my belongings because I knew that she had a extra guest bedroom. And I like, just told her everything and she, with good intentions, was like, no, go work it out with your roommate. And she shut the door. And I was like, oh. And I sat in my car and I just like, started crying because I was like, I feel so rejected. I understand how bad it is. I can't here. If I move back in with my parents, I'm going to have to drop out of school. Like, I didn't know what to do. I prayed under my breath, and then um, a girl named Jessica came to mind. We were basically strangers. I had just met her. But I picked up the phone. She didn't pick up. So I us again with all my belongings. And um, she the door and seemed surprised and happy to see me. And I just started bawling, like, while I told her everything. And um, just, please, can I stay on your couch for a while? And she was like, of course. She was like, come on in. And she opened the door. And I brought my little, like, you know, plastic drawer container of all my little belongings at, and put it at the foot of the couch, which became my bed for almost 
school semester. There was no personal space or privacy um, in that apartment, but there was a spirit of love. Ever be grateful for the hospitality that she showed to me whenever I needed a place to stay. A few months later, uh, Curtis and I were married, um, and we had our little house on the east side of Fort Worth. Um, when we met these two girls who were seeking asylum, they were from Rwanda. And their home situation was a million times worse than what I had experienced um, with my roommate. It was more like something out of a horror story. They were here. They were in the legal process seeking asylum. Um, and uh, they did not yet have their work permit. And they were not eligible um, for any government assistance. And then they explained to me that they were going to become homeless. And I remembered when I had that same feeling. I started looking around for somewhere to point the finger. Why was the government not doing something about this problem? Like, where were the human rights organizations? God, why don't you do something? And then it occurred to me that he had done something. He introduced them to us. I, we had love. After discussing it for only a few minutes, he totally agreed um, that we should definitely welcome them into our home, and we just felt like it was the right thing to do. So then, when I started telling some friends and family members what we were about to do, I was shocked at the pushback. People were like, what? Like, that is not safe. If you invite those people in, you don't know. They could be traumatized. They could lash out on you um, with a PTSD flashback or something. You've just got off your honeymoon. You should be focused on yourself and your Quote, if you do this, you're going to get divorced. You are a fool, end quote. And I remember Curtis respectfully telling those people that in the Bible, it calls us to radical sacrifice and radical welcome of people, much more than it ever calls us to some notion of safety. I remember being really thankful for him in that moment um, and just thankful that we in this jump into this mission together. And so we bought a two twin beds off of Craigslist, and I arranged the little room to try to feel welcoming. arrangement turned into this beautiful cross-cultural friendship. One of the girls who was living with us had this nightmare um, when she was reliving some of the nightmares that she had actually lived through um, in her home country. And just getting to sit up with her and pray with her and cry with her over some of the darkness um, that's in the world. That's hospitality. So eventually, one of these Rwandan girls, another um, Rwandan girl who was seeking asylum as well, um, who had just spent her last dollars on a motel and was currently sitting on the side of the road with her one bag, her, all of her worldly possessions, not knowing where to go. And after talking to this new girl on the phone and talking to Curtis and talking to the Lord and feeling the peace of the Holy Spirit, I went and picked her up off the side of the road and brought her home to live with us too. A few months later, there was two more people in need of a place to stay showed up on our doorstep, and, um, and we opened the door. So that's how our lifestyle of biblical hospitality began. Although at the time, we would not have called it hospitality. We didn't have that word for it. So at that time in my life, I knew for sure that God spoke through the Bible. Um, but I wasn't so sure about this like charismatic idea that the Holy Spirit could speak through their hearts. Um, and I was 
you know, at that time I was 24 years old. We were already a couple of years into this journey. And at that time, um, I had a day job with refugees, but I was like really trying to figure out like what I was supposed to do with my life. Poor Curtis, he had like walked me through all my floundering as I like one month, I'd be like, I'm going to be an asylum lawyer and go to law school. And I already started studying for the LSAT. And then the next month I'd be like, I'm going to go to grad school and do social work and this and this. And I had, it was terrible. And I told God, okay, God, if you do speak to me, whatever you say, I'm just, I'm going to write it down on my hand. And it was like really corny. I'm just telling you how it happened. And so then I like closed my eyes and then like so strongly, it was as if it were an audible voice, but it wasn't. Um, I wrote it on my hand. And then I literally was like, hospitality? And I was like, what? Because what came to my mind was I thought hospitality was, was frivolous. It was like inviting people to lavish dinner parties and wasting your money on expensive recipes. And it was like making sure that the coffee was made before a meeting so that people could feel more comfortable. And I thought it was like what you see on Pinterest, you know, to, so that people could um, be impressed by your stuff or maybe even envy your stuff. Um, I thought hospitality was like the gift of people like Martha Stewart and like, oh, my guests will love it. People out there like, actually have real needs. In short, my Western idea of hospitality was trivial. I was like, how can that even be in the Bible? So I looked up what the Bible meant whenever it said hospitality. Here's what it said, the biblical definition, the word in the Greek. It's philos, exenios, love of the exile, love of the stranger, love of the foreigner, the outsider, the other, especially those in need of food and housing. And I was like, yes, like that is what my heart beats for. Biblical hospitality is not comfortable, it's radical, and it's the very heart of God. It's important to note that in the Bible, the word hospitality is usually talking about providing food and lodging, um, but it's not only that. And it's also usually talking about kindness to resident foreigners, people who are not born from your particular town or country, but it's not only that. Biblical hospitality is never about impressing people with your food or your house. It is always about um, someone who is far off being welcomed and brought near. So from the time that the Spirit spoke to me, um, and that gave me this new understanding of what was um, true biblical hospitality, we've embraced the call to live this life of radical hospitality. And motivated by that understanding, we've since had people live with us who were in need of a place to stay anywhere from six weeks to over two years. And we've hosted many more short-term visitors staying only a few weeks. And you guys know that we spent a few years um, launching DFW Asylum Seeker Housing, which has now provided biblical hospitality for nearly 300 people. And now, after handing off the ministry um, to the next leaders, we're in a new season of hospitality. Now, we just have a ton of friends who have graduated um, from Dash. And, you know, even like, for example, this week, um, friends, you know, of these people um, have these kind of needs. So like childcare for a set number of hours, and then um, half of the, those hours ended up in order to prepare for this talk, but then half of those hours be, ended up being taken up um, by a friend of a friend from Mozambique who just got released from a detention center in Los Angeles um, and was dropped at a bus station and had nowhere to go. 
And also we're in a season of just inviting in neighbors. 15 of the 20 neighbors who live closest to us are immigrants. Over 90% of immigrants um, who have been in the United States for 10 years or more have never been invited into an American person's home. In our tiny neighborhood, we want to change that. We're just having people over for dinner. We're hosting multicultural potlucks. We're just inviting people in and trying to build community. So in this season, it may not look as dramatic as starting a nonprofit or having half a dozen people live with you, um, but it's the same work. And my biblical, um, my understanding of biblical hospitality has freed me to not need um, a job title attached to it and just freed me to understand that living out hospitality is going to look different in different seasons of life, and it's going to look different for different people and um, for different places. So now Curtis is going to share... Um, what this idea has looked like for God's people um, as he traces this idea of biblical hospitality um, through scripture. So, um, yeah, so I get to take us into God's word to a little bit. It'll still be a little bit of story time as we story through the Bible. Uh, so kids, don't, you know, don't leave me yet. <laughs> Just won't be as dramatic and, uh, and dynamic as Ashley is. So, uh, and, and I actually, in preparing for this, I think was... Um, I guess I underestimated how often this theme shows up in the Bible, uh, especially as you trace it back, especially um, key moments in the Old Testament story, Abraham, the prophets, and others that are showing this hospitality um, to folks, even as we find in Hebrews and here in a second, just entertaining angels uh, even in, as a way of showing hospitality. It's, it's a rabbit trail, but something to, to look in. So, you know, in preparing, I underestimated this. It's an opportunity for us to see our call as Christians or God's people to exhibit God to the world, to be his imagers, and to say, what is the nature and character of God, and how do I, as a, as a believer and follower of Jesus, show that to the world? So a few places that this word actually mentioned, um, hospitality in the New Testament, it shows up in both passages about overseers and elders of the church, uh, mention hospitality. So Titus 1, 7 through 8, for the overseer must be blameless as one entrusted with God's work, not arrogant, not prone to anger, not a drunkard, not violent, not greedy for gain. Instead, he must be hospitable, devoted to what is good, sensible, upright, devout, and self-controlled. There's this, uh, you know, almost um, not an equal weighting, but hospitality being right there next to devoted to what is good. You know, just do, doing what is good right there next to hospitality. It's not a, you know, special gift only for certain exclusive people. It's something the overseers as, rep, as the, you know, highest responsible, over, you know, um, folks over the church, they should have this, this quality. So then, you know, first Peter, um, Peter writing to um, his letter, show hospitality to one another without complaining. This showing one another in the church. So it's not even strangers always used. It can just be even fellow believers in the church. And then Hebrews 13, one through three, brothers, brotherly love must continue. Do not neglect hospitality because through it, some have entertained angels without knowing it. It's a story of Abraham and Sarah right before uh, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where Abraham invites in these three strangers that he doesn't know, brings them into his household, and Sarah's cooking a meal for them, it ends up being the Lord is one of them and two angels. That potentially being what's being referenced here, but could be other ones. Uh, there's a lot of stories of strangers being invited in. Um, and what we're told here is that you may be entertaining angels without knowing it, um, as Abraham and Sarah were doing in that story. 
So these scriptures here showing kind of like the variety of uses of the term hospitality. It's not just for strangers and outsiders. But I think that what happens is we see um, there's this ability for us to take a step deeper, especially when you trace the story through the Old Testament um, and understand, like Ashley got to, the root of the word philos and xenia being this love of foreigners or exiles. There's certainly a usage here around foreigners, people you don't know, strangers. And so we want to dig into that, I think, a little bit as an opportunity for the church to, to kind of start to exhibit that more so. Um, you know, I think what, what was helpful for me thinking about this root word, how far back this word goes, is thinking about what it might have been for an outsider or foreigner in, in ancient times. It's certainly, there's some dramatic stories of foreigners and travelers and outsiders experiencing, you know, um, struggle and, um, and, you know, like Ashley said, like journeys of some asylum seekers can get pretty dramatic and scary. Um, but before there were hotel chains in every city, you know, you had the journey of a foreigner through different nations was pretty treacherous a lot of risk, and you were completely dependent on complete strangers along the way. We just read Little House on the Prairie, and, you know, as people were going west, if you had a cabin <laughs> or some sort of shelter, and people were traveling through to move west, um, as the, you know, and this is old days, but moving west, you know, you had to depend on complete strangers you didn't know, knock on their door and say, could we stay here, right? And this is, this is <laughs> earlier now than even these times, but um, I think that that's, that's a good example in my mind as I was thinking through like how much I would be prayerful as I took that journey for people of hospitality, people that would welcome me in despite their ability to know me, my story, anything about me and trust me, even though I'm a complete stranger to them. In the same way, I have to trust them <laughs> that as I go into their house, that they're not going to take advantage of me as a, as a foreigner. Um, you know, we hear, so uh, what is it? Philos, Xenia. As the word Ashley mentioned, the opposite of that, of the love of foreigners, would be a word you've heard even more recently, xenophobia, right? So the distrust of something foreign to you or a foreigner or a stranger. So the word hospitality is rooted in this idea of love, and it carries with it a connection to foreigners, strangers, travelers. So where do we see this show up in the storyline of the Bible? So one moment's where God is inviting in Abraham, the very first calling of Abraham and he's setting him and his future descendants up and apart as a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, citizens of this new nation that have this responsibility now to represent God. Who is this God that we serve? How do we represent that to the people of the nation, the people around the nation? And that's you know going to involve knowing God's purposes, his character, his image to the world that we need to, we also get invited into. But the act of inviting in Abraham into this relationship, you could say was very hospitable of God. The Tower of Babel incident happens just before the calling of Abraham. And at that point, the people were scattered and the languages were confused. God was, God was scattering his people. And so here he's inviting in Abraham from this confusion and this scattering as opposed to just leaving people scattered and alone, he's saying, okay, I'm going to pick, I'm going to start a new nation with this person, Abraham. So he brings him into his family, this relationship, making him promises beyond anything Abraham could have imagined and was also given the task of not just being a blessing, you know, sharing that blessing with Abraham so they could be great and be blessed, but that they could bless the other families of the world around them. So he's going to use Abraham 
to then be a blessing to the other nations where you're going to have to get to know those other nations. <laughs> you're going to have to interact with these foreigners from these other nations that come with you. So we're going to figure out how God wants his people to interact with foreigners. Um, but what we see is this idea and the importance of hospitality from the very beginning of God creating a new nation with Abraham. We also see the importance of hospitality reinforced when the people of Israel are in Egypt and eventually become slaves to the Egyptians. And they're crying out to God for rescue. So God points to that very event as the opposite of how people should be treated. Foreigners should be treated when you live among them. In Leviticus, one of the anchor texts that was emailed out, Leviticus 19.33, it says, um, so God, you know, this is after that event, but God's looking back at that event in Exodus and saying, here's how I want you to understand, here's what I want you to learn and understand from that event. When a resident foreigner lives with you in your land, you must not oppress him. The resident foreigner who lives with you must be to you as a native citizen among you. Don't treat them any different than you would a native citizen. So you must love the foreigner just as yourself. No different. Because you were foreigners in the land of Egypt is the reason God gives. I am the Lord your God. So the reason given again, is in this command is because you were foreigners in Egypt, remember how that worked out? You were at one time strangers in a land that was ruled by foreign gods, leaders, and you were mistreated, taken advantage of, and vulnerable. And I rescued out of that land, rescued you out of that land and put it in your own land, put you in your own land in a nation ruled by the one true God. And God tells the Israelites, don't be rescued from that oppression just to now have your own nation and then oppress other people in the same way you were oppressed. That wouldn't make any sense. There's a, Jesus tells the parable where, you know, don't, uh, you know, um, a man is forgiven a substantial amount of debt. And then he goes on. And as soon as he's relieved, relieved of that debt, he goes on and then asks, demands the repayment of a much smaller debt from someone else. So, Jesus is saying, don't be relieved of this huge oppression only to oppress other people. Um, learn from it. What did it feel like? What are you free from? How do you extend that to foreigners, not take from foreigners? This is reiterated in Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. It says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God who is unbiased and takes no bribe, bribe who treats uh, justly the orphan and widow and who loves resident foreigners, giving them food and clothing. And it says, so you must love the resident foreigner because you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. All right, so we see this again. Here again, you must love the resident foreigner because you were foreigners in Egypt. But this command is connected with the verses just prior to it, right? And it's describing God's character, the character of the God we serve. He's great, mighty, and awesome. He's unbiased, just, and loves resident foreigners. So don't just show philos, you know, love, xenia to foreigners because you were once in that situation yourself. Do it because this is the God you serve. This is his nature, and that's what he loves to do. And we, as his imagers, have that opportunity to to show that love to other people as well. And then jumping into the New Testament, we're going to see something very similar here in the language that was used 
in Leviticus and Deuteronomy in Ephesians 2, 11. So what language does Paul use when he's talking about his mission to the Gentiles and the importance of bringing the Gentiles into this family of God? He says, um, therefore, remember that you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. It's basically, remember you, who were the outsiders, um, called outsiders by the insiders, that you were at that time without the Messiah, alienated from the citizenship of Israel. So you were not, not a citizen of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. So then you are, and then skipping down to 19, it says, so then now you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Essentially sending home the message that, remember, you were a stranger and foreigner. You have been loved and not just treated well, not just invited to dinner, but invited and welcomed into the very household of God, right? So this idea of welcoming the foreigner isn't just tangible food and housing anymore. It's this, the expansion of the kingdom of God. It's, it's the sharing of the gospel and bringing people into God's family is now connected to this in the same way um, from what the Israelites could learn from the t- their time in Egypt. Um, so yeah, so in the same way that God miraculously rescued his people from the inhospitable land of Egypt, here we see that same language applied to the rescue of the Gentiles from our outside status of the family of God to now not just fellow citizens, but brothers and sisters in that household. And all of this made possible by another of God's miracles, which is to send his son and his death and resurrection from the grave. So this is the gospel just through the lens of hospitality. And I think that this is where we should be knowing this history of the family of God in Egypt being rescued by God, us as Gentiles being rescued through God's work, through his son, that we should be the most hospitable people, having been redeemed and rescued from so much. And I think having that lens is what allows us to think to ourselves, it's not just us um, showing hospitality as an extension of what we've been rescued from, but also remembering it's part of God's own character, that as, as imagers, we should be imaging his character. Um, and that can look all sorts of ways, but I think that there's ways for us to tangibly show the world what the gospel is when we invite in strangers and we act differently, especially act differently than our culture about foreigners and other folks. And that Again, I think that, um, yeah, so, you know, as he did for Abraham after the Tower of Babel, inviting him in, and for the nation of, uh, of Israel and Egypt, God loved and received us when we were strangers, and we should be ready to do the same. And we've got this opportunity to offer that kind of clear view of hospitality to the world, and not just providing a safe place or providing food to people in need. It kind of goes beyond that. So how are we to be welcoming? And that kind of leads us to the final section that we wanted to open up a dialogue about is just what, what are some examples in your own life or other people that you've seen showing this kind of hospitality beyond the ones that Ashley mentioned? I'd love to hear some other ones.
if any come to mind. Those have act, yeah, that's actually been one of my proudest moments, I think, for my own kids, is just seeing them operate that way and knowing that that's something that hopefully they're seeing in us and that's passing down, and so that's a really good example. I think when I think of the word like traveler or sojourner, I think of somebody, you know, very different. But I like to, like in light of the, this being more connected to the gospel in, a, in broader ways today rather than just tangible like housing and food, I think there's certainly an element of, um, you know, like just the way we see travelers and sojourners through our life. Like these people enter our life, they enter our youth group. How are we going to treat them? They're different. They're strangers. They're, you know, something like that. So I think that that's that's an important aspect of that to know. So maybe broadening out just a second um, before we take communion, any any thoughts come to mind of like ways that you or your family maybe ha- haven't been weaving this into your life in quite this way? Are there ways that you could think about? doing that. I'm not going to hold you accountable to it per se, but just as anything come to your mind like, oh, this, that really, that's a unique opportunity to show hospitality that I hadn't really thought about doing. Maybe I will 
jump at that chance, or maybe I will do something differently. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You know, we've thought from time to time. It's like, how do we open our doors and as we're you know juggling and getting the kids to school, going to work, and doing all these things, and suddenly you realize at the end of the day, it's just been doing up with that. Yep. You know? Yep. Yeah, completely. And that's yeah, that's the hard part of it is figuring out a way to show hospit. I mean, in some way, showing hospitality. Especially, I mean, just the examples of people showing up unannounced and having to scramble to figure it out, like co complete inconvenience to life. But I think there's ways to weave in hospitality and, and be wise also about how to juggle the responsibilities you have in your family, but also show this aspect of God's character. Um, so at, at the same time, don't throw wisdom completely out the door, you know, at, at Different, different times. We've done the same thing when we just moved into a new house. We would typically host people. We took a pause on that just to get or, organized, oriented. Um, you know, I don't know whether that was the right thing or not, but that's what we did, you know. And then um, other times where babies have been born and we've got, you know, we're trying to manage through that. So it's like, how do you create, invite people in, but also create a hospitable atmosphere comes to mind. Like if they're, if I'm inviting them into my chaos, <laughs> is that hospitable? In some way, it is, you know, because it's probably more hospitable than their alternatives in some cases, right? Um, and am I protecting my own comforts? We've made those decisions before. And I think it's, you know, different people, different times of life, different seasons. Um, they ha have their own conscience, right, as to what, what makes sense and what's the right thing to do. Yep. Anything else? Any other thoughts? I would say the, the effect of the cost of not doing it is pretty serious. I still, I I still struggle with it because I want things to be perfect. Yeah. My mom cursed me with her. The house was gorgeous and those trays. And, yeah. and that's, that is, that's really nice, right, to bring out the good wine right. and to like throw a good party. But I think growing up, my parents, who are Christians, there just were never people in our house Mm -hmm. Yep. And I and and so I look back, and then you're as an adult. I go, we just weren't very good at hosting strange, like friends, yep. strangers, even even though they weren't strangers. Mm -hmm. There'd be parties for family, but not. And so I think as I've gotten older, some of the people in this church, those followers, have taught me about what it looks like to open your house and just be yep. who you are and cook spaghetti like the cheapest meal, but also it's nice for you know it's just like to open yep. your home. Yep. 
concern for safety and our mm-hmm. yeah. who's this person and what's it, and that's all ridiculous. Good way to wrap it up or transition us into communion. Um, you know, and I do, I do really think that, uh, that, like I said, as I was pouring through here, I really didn't realize how foundational this idea of hospitality was. I think I had different words for it or different ways to describe it, but not really knowing this in a way that's like, hey, this is God's character on display. This is the gospel on display when we invite people in. Um, that are outsiders. It's like it's like God invited us in as outsiders. So I think it's worth celebrating with communion then that um, that our Savior came, that God did this miraculous thing in rising Him from the grave, raising Him, rising Him. Uh, that we that we have an opportunity to celebrate that we are part of this nation, this household of God. Um, that. Um, I don't know that we and we get to celebrate Jesus for what he's done for that. So um, take the bread, dip it in the wine and take this uh, take this communion as a way of honoring uh, Jesus and his sacrifice for us. And I'm going to. Yeah, that's what I was going to do. Do you want to pray? Okay. You want me to pray? Okay, I'll pray. God, thank you, Lord, for um, for your word that uh, that should shape us, uh, change our hearts. Lord, we're um, we want to be more impacted by your scriptures than our culture or uh, our upbringing, um, Lord, and just uh, allow it to challenge us. Lord, use your Spirit to um, to to prompt us uh, in these moments of inviting in people we don't know, um, taking. A step of risk, uh, Lord, putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations or um, inconveniencing situations, Lord, that allow us to, um, sh- to show a bit of this of the steps that you took uh, to inconvenience yourself, Lord, and for you to um, seek after love more than your own um, your own uh, well being, God. And we just thank you for that sacrifice uh, that you made for us on the cross, um, that you are um, risen, that you are the king today, Lord, and we just um, act in these ways, Lord, hospitable ways, Lord, to reflect you to the world and to honor uh, the work that you've done. It's your name we pray.